Welcome to the Voodoo Power Podcast. Welcome to Plates and Pancakes. We're sitting down today with Jim Windler. Jim is the creator and author of the 531 Training Program. This program has been one of the most widely used programs across the country. It's used everywhere from powerlifting to school weight rooms and everything in between. Jim has made the program easily adaptable for every age and style of lifting. He played his football and graduated from the University of Arizona, where he was a three-time letter winner as a walk-on. He went on to squat 1,000 pounds in competition and is an accomplished elite lifter with a 2,375-pound total. He has no filler style, and people enjoy listening to him for his passion, honesty, and ability to make sense of complex training ideas. Jim is currently the strength and conditioning coach at London, Ohio. So welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Man, I, I'm, I'm grateful for you to come on. I, I'll probably sound like a fan halfway through this interview. And that's because I am a huge fan. When, uh, when I was looking to move from a bodybuilding style of lifting to more of a powerlifting style of lifting, I, I ran across 531 and that book just, I mean, it just made everything so easy. So that was, that was, that's, that was the goal. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but that's why I, that's why I did it was originally for me because I didn't want to think anymore. I was tired of thinking. And I, I guess I've never really been, con, you know, accused of thinking too much, but your situation was my situation too. Um, I just needed something that I could just look at a piece of paper and just go. Um, and the other thing is I think, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, I think a lot of your training has to revolve around kind of who you are, like what your personality is and going for rep maxes and kind of going nuts. Like I needed to feel that I always call like, you always need a little insanity in your life. At least I do. Um, with my train doesn't mean like you're going to do stupid shit all the time, but I need something competitive to fire me up. I don't just want to go in and do five sets of five. I'd be bored to death, you know? Um, so I think, uh, that's, the simplicity and I think that kind of competitive thing really uh, appeals to people. So, well, I get, I, we were talking about pre-show a little bit and I get to do prep cast for the local high school. And part of that is yeah. I call, I call the opposing, opposing coaches every week. And I try to get a little bit of interview, key to the game, this and that and the other. And I always yeah. ask them, you know, what was your off season like? What training did you do? And you would, maybe you wouldn't be, but I was just shocked at how many people said five, three, one like that. Really? Was, that straightened up their weight room. It gave them a purpose. It get it made it clear cut, and it just it just worked for. Them. So I, I I'm always surprised by that. Uh, I mean, I get you know messages obviously quite a few, and it's very humbling, you know. Um, and even you know we get I have some pretty big names or big teams or big groups. I, you know, they're not just sports guys. Um, and uh, I'm always amazed. And it's always cool because those guys that do use it, most a lot of them have background. And they're able to manipulate it, which I think is awesome, to whatever they need or whatever their philosophy is. So that's great. Now, I only think, like, my first thing is that's great. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hope it, they don't do it wrong. Because <laughs> I, I am, uh, with my own team, <clears throat> I am uh, just a stickler with all the stuff, with the uh, how we do everything uh we you know just so everyone knows london ohio is not a very big town uh we probably have at most maybe 50 kids on the team that's freshman to to senior uh so you know, 
we have to take advantage of everything that we can control. And one of the things we can't control besides effort and consistency is we always try to do everything right. So the simplest example is when we line up and do a sprint, everyone's toe has to be behind the line. And I always say, police yourself and then police your teammates. We're not starting until everything's perfect. And it doesn't sound like anything until you're at the game and your right hand needs to be down perfectly, whatever it is, or the snap count or being off sides or knowing the play. It's always the little shit that catches up with you. So, uh, but that's why I always, that's my first worry. It's like, oh, don't, don't ruin it. Don't ruin these kids. Uh, I have such a massive, uh, art for, uh, young kids, especially like the high school age. Cause that for me was like the turning point in my life. And, uh, so I'm, I glad to see some of these kids, uh, whatever program, as long as their coach is passionate and kind of knows what he's doing. I'm, I'm pumped up that the kids are getting physically fit and getting stronger. And, you know, that the other, you know, we were talked a little bit before the podcast, but, uh, the biggest thing is I love seeing kids who have, uh, a good program can always elevate a kid up at least one level. For example, you can make your all state player into an all American. But I love seeing like the kid who's not very good at anything. And by the time his senior year, he started and he waited through four years of hell, you know, and, and getting his ass kicked during practice and JV games and watching that kid just, and I've seen this happen. Those, that's what our team's made of. We always have great athletes. We have three or four kick ass dudes, but it, the team is built on those average dudes who, uh, you know, spend three years basically on the bench and then coming in and just, you know, becoming all conference all of a sudden. And I think that's what a good strength and, you know, conditioning program can do. Uh, so, and I, you know, I, the other thing I, this has nothing to do with it, but I urge every coach, you don't need to do a lot. You just have to do it consistently. And, uh, as I'll never forget our, uh, our head coach at London, uh, his brother is also a coach. And he asked, uh, the brother said, Hey, can I watch your workout sometime? He said, just so you understand, it's not crazy. Like you're going to be very underwhelmed, but we do the very underwhelming 50 weeks out of the year, you know, three times a week. And, uh, so that's my only caution is be consistent. You don't have to do a lot. Just be consistent. And that's, you know, I got to talk to Zach Deschamps the other day, or it's actually DeCant. I, I struggle with the pronunciation, but that was his whole basis was consistency it doesn't have to be this elaborate he's like take the training program you think's awesome and cut it in half yep and and you're where you need to be you ready this is how many exercises we generally do a day maybe four and that fourth one's like uh plate raises or something we just try and do something stupid but we generally do three exercises every day and uh my big push every off season, I always have a focus and I don't really know what that focus is until I kind of get maybe the second week or so. And this year was, we're going to do less things, but we're going to do what we do better. That's the whole focus because I believe I, efficiency is a big thing with me. And I, I remember the first time I took over the off season, I said, listen, guys, we're only training three times a week and uh, it's, we'll probably be in here for no more than an hour. Uh, you know, with warm up and all that stuff, and plus whatever. And the kids were like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, first of all, I don't want to be here. I don't like like I have nothing in common with you." You know, it was the joke. I would rather be with my wife. I want to be watching TV. I don't want to be here with you. And that was, you know, the whole point. 
but uh obviously i was joking uh but if you just in a, just dedicate you know one hour three times a week or 50 weeks it's going to be unbelievable but we try to do less things way better than doing and you're i remember i've seen programs from like colleges i'm not going to name the name but this team won a national championship in the last five years and i saw their workout program and uh we it's like 19 exercises or you know 12 exercises like, i know no one's doing all this i know because i've been in college weight rooms uh so uh so instead of like lying to yourself or even this let's just take the average dude out there just me and you, right? If you did one main lift three times a week, all right, so lift one main lift and one assistance lift that was kick-ass, and you did that until you're uh, for 10 years, you know how awesome you'd be? And you know you can commit to that, right? Right. Like, you know, instead of like, uh, oh, I'm going to lift six days a week, I'm going to do all this, like, oh, shit, <laughs> turn that off. Uh, you know you can commit. You know you can kick-ass at two different things. You know, really, really kind of uh, devote yourself to that. So, uh, but anyway, that's that was our big focus this year: was efficiency and uh, effort. Now, I've asked this question to guests before, and I've listened to some of your stuff, so I know you kind of spent your a lot of your time powerlifting. One rep max is king. But yes. in, in the high school setting in athletics, do we have that paradigm a little bit backwards? I mean, is is the submaximal weights at high speeds? carry over from what you've seen better uh it is i could probably talk the rest of the time about this now just so we're clear uh i spent i started lifting the summer before my eighth grade year and all the way up until i was 25 i did nothing but normal training like athlete training so to speak and I only really started maxing out when I was involved with powerlifting, which was about six years. Okay. So I already had a hell of a base, but everything up into them was uh, trying to break different records, uh, rep maxes and stuff like that, similar to how we train right now and how the 531 program is. Now, there's a lot of things is uh, one, we with the barbell, the way that we do this, uh, is we use the barbell for, I call it, use it for power. And I own that barbell. So I get to decide what weight's on that bar at all times. With assistance lifts, like you can choose, all right? Unless you screw it up, you can choose. But I own that barbell. And if you, I say the word control and power 6,000 times a workout. I want everything controlled. I want, you should always be in control of that barbell at all times. Because I'm not interested in how much you lift in six weeks or 12 weeks or six months, I'm interested in four years. And if we can effectively uh, train that barbell lift with a weight that you can handle and your technique is perfect, then you're going to get stronger all the time. The classic example, when a kid's squatting, I'm just going to use my hands here. So this is his stance at 135, 185, 225, 275. You can't see my hands. Because he can't do the weight with the proper, uh, that the load properly. And I, I said this on my uh, forum the other day. I said, it's magical what happens, your technique. You don't need a technique video if the load is good on your back. Is this, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
magically every time someone asks for a technique video, it's just ridiculously heavyweight. Well, of course your technique's shitty. You're not strong enough to handle that. And so not only is it, <clears throat> am I looking to develop kind of power and speed and learning how to turn everything on at one time, just like in a football game or wrestling or throwing the discus or shot put or whatever sport that you're doing, but it doesn't load the athlete and it doesn't stress them out. I don't want the kid to look at his paper that I give him and be like, holy shit, there's no way. There's no way I can do this. Or, you know, my back's hurting or whatever else. So you would be uh, astounded how light we lift. And it's like the kids get upset. At least they used to. But I have enough credentials now. Like our team kicks ass. I'm like, listen, shut your, sh- <laughs> shut your mouth. I use some choice words with my kids. I say, you know, shut your fucking mouth and just do it. Because I guarantee you. And what always happens is the kids that listen and are consistent, they're Strength goes so beyond anything they could imagine. We had a kid, uh, I'm going to guess his one rep max, but I think he did something like 205 for five or something before this off season. And uh, no, maybe like 225 for five or three, whatever. So we trained, he probably didn't go over 195 for most of the season or most of this off season. He hit... Uh, we train our bench a little weird. We, I throw in some variations in there, but we, he hit in 10 minutes, uh, five doubles at 225. This is 10 minutes, three doubles at 225, three doubles at 245, and six singles at 255. And that bar didn't slow down one time. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. And now I think most of the time he spent about 195 just. Great power and great. And then he's like, Oh my God, like, how does this happen? I'm like, cause you're doing things correctly. You're doing things the right way. And, uh, but I, I think besides that, like the smart thing is uh, you start loading your athletes too much. They hit their knees and start hurting They're, just like everyone else. Their backs will start hurting. Um, and most of our kids play two to three sports. So they're always technically in season in some sport. And that sport is more important. You know, I don't want them all fucked up and, and hurt and stuff. So we're, they know at the very least, I got to do chin-ups today and back squats. And I'm going to kick ass the squat and stuff. The other thing is the mentality. And I, I talked to a coach about this. The mentality to push for uh, a set is something that you can't uh, quantify. Because you have to learn how to fight. You have to learn how to be fatigued and do things the right way instead of cutting your squat and rolling over Like I tell them that that's if, as soon as your form goes to shit, that set stops. And they I'll, I'll yell at those kids like, you know, rack that fucking bar. That's not acceptable here. You know, whatever. I'm sorry about the language. But, uh, so I think especially for the squat and the trap bar, when we start pushing for some of those higher ref sets, as long as those kids have a good base, uh, of tech technical work and their assistance has been really good because they have to strengthen the rest of their body. Um, I think that's something that you can't quantify. And the other simplest thing is the one rep max is a skill. It is a skill that needs to be learned. Uh, it takes really about 15 to 20 years to really understand what it's like to push for a maximal rep. Um, and you're not going to get that when this kid's 13 and can't do a pushup. And that's my other big thing. I People ask me all kinds of crazy questions. I always say, can your kid do 12 pushups? 20 push-ups because the he should be able to pass at a 
for a high school football player, he should be able to pass the bare minimum like a special forces. I'm not telling me he has to be a Navy SEAL, but if he can't tell me he can't do 50 push-ups, like that's unacceptable. He can't do 10 pull-ups. And so why would you expect these kids, and I see this with like the power clean and hand clean and stuff like that, these kids can't even do the base levels of fitness, like jumping jacks. And I remember seeing, uh, you ever see that <clears throat> video? It's uh, of the Afghan soldiers doing jumping jacks. Yeah. It, it was, a. It's like, I couldn't even do these things. Like, I feel like, and <clears throat> you can't expect someone who can't do like a, and I, we don't, we do burpees as a warm up. We don't do it as a conditioning thing. But if you can't squat down and do a strict four count burpee or a six count burpee and not die, uh, then he shouldn't be doing power cleans or hang cleans, you know? So we have like base levels of fitness that we really strive for. We are constantly trying to up their general physical preparedness. We really are. And at this time, I can talk all day on this because I, those kids are coming in so horribly untrained. Even the kids that play sports, it's it's bad. It's so bad that my wife now does all the – she does what I do at the junior high level for our junior high football team. So now we have a uh, six-week – or six-week, six-year training program here in London. They start when they're in seventh grade as long as they're on the football team. And then by the time they get to me, they have a good uh, base of GPP, and uh, they understand how to do the lifts. And so by the time I get them, if the kids are consistent, man, they're just running. They're going. So, uh, but yeah, the one rep max thing is silly because I remember all the, t all the time when I was uh, coaching at uh, Kentucky, I was powerlifting too. And they always said, well, because I was powerlifting, they're like, well, you know, we're not powerlifters. You know, we're uh, athletes. I'm like, well, why are you one rep maxing? Well, what's the fucking point? And uh, another thing is, this is another, like a lot of <clears throat> uh, colleges will have like a testing week right before camp starts. So we have the kids trained for 12 weeks. What happens if they have a shitty day? Then like, was all my time wasted? So we're constantly trying to break records. Not all the time, but, you know, I'll give a kid a chance. So maybe he's having a good day. Or a bad, fuck, let's take advantage of it, man. Let's go ahead and do it. So the kids always have success, which I just wrote something about this today. I'm sorry I'm popping your ear off here. No, this is why I had you on, man. This is, this yeah, is great. I am a, uh, a big, big believer in uh, the kids that have confidence and a good sense of self-esteem are going to be better. Not just better players, better people. And so I found out that the what everyone thinks is like the Marine way or the army way, whatever, of breaking them down and building back up doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work, especially when they're young kids and they don't even, you know, they got their head down and they just don't want to talk to anyone. So what I try to do every training day is I give these kids a chance to succeed at something kind of hard, just kind of, just a little bit. And all of a sudden they, now they feel like, Oh my God, I can do this. I can do this. And then every so often, usually about, maybe six months to a year in, I'll, I'll take a kid aside. I'm like, listen, on this last step, dude, I think you can get 20. I think you can do it. Really? I know they can do it. It's not like I'm asking them. But now, so now they're like, holy shit. I, I don't just throw this kid in the deep end or anything, but I hung out there with them a little bit. I'm like, dude, you're going to be fine. Let's do this together. So I coach them through the set. And all of a sudden their self-esteem and their confidence builds, and builds, and builds. And all of a sudden he's a better athlete. He's a better person. So I think, you know, I, I'm not breaking any new ground here, but to 
build a young man's self-esteem and confidence is not done by just telling him that he's a good person. Oh, you're great, Timmy. You're the best. It's you have to put them in situations that are physically difficult or mentally challenge them and give them a chance to succeed, you know? And so I'll never have, we have a couple kids, you know, young kids who are obese and stuff like that. I'm not going to tell them to jump on a 40 inch box. I'll give them a box that I know they can handle. Like, let's just, let's just do this awesome right now. Me and you, we're going to kick ass right here. I don't want him to walk out of that rate and feel like a piece of shit. If it is, it's not because of something that I did. It's maybe he's looking at the kid who's jumping on a 60 inch box, you know? Uh, so, but I want to give the kids a chance to succeed every day. That's how you build confidence. And, uh, one of the other, again, another reason why we don't load them too heavy. I don't, I don't want them to know that they're, <laughs> I want to give them a chance to succeed at all times. So, well, and you started kind of touching on it there. I mean, take the weights out of it. It seems like the weight room provides a path where you're able to help a kid with things he would never get help with anywhere else. You know, I mean, just being there setting up yeah. a situation where he's going to win. That may be the only win he gets yep. that day, maybe in a couple it's, days. Yeah. And, you know, the more that I'm doing this, like I can see kids who have a tough time at home. You know, you can always tell the kids who don't have a dad or a positive male figure. You could always tell that. And I want them to enjoy this because I love lifting. Like, I fucking love it. Like I've made a, my living, you know, and that's all I think about. I'm like, Probably drive my wife nuts. Um, and I want them, I'm not asking them to be like me. If everyone was like me, I wouldn't have a job. Right. But I want them to at least enjoy this time. And I think, and I've heard this a lot. Kids would, kids love training here for the most part, like most everyone does, because I, I'm not a dick. I'm very vocal. I will bust everyone's balls, but I'm never mean. I'm never mean. And I don't yell at the kids at all. Um, but I want them to have a great time. And I think if you make everything miserable, no one's going to want to participate ever. So, and you can still be awesome, a good coach and not make kids miserable. You know, you know, I, I stumbled, oh. stumbled down this awesome rabbit hole when I started this podcast and I got lucky and coaches said they would come on and, yes. you know, and I got to talk to Tony Holler, uh, come up with right. feed the cats. He's from Chicago where you're from. and all the principles that you're laying out now are the feed the cats principles. And he just took it to the mainstream. And he's like, what are we doing? The yell and the screaming, the punishing kids for not, you know, winning, this isn't working. And so it sounds like maybe you've stumbled on it too. And you're just your own work. And, and the response you're getting is just unbelievable. It's been, uh, uh, you know, here's like one of the proudest moments of my life. I received uh, an award, uh, friends of education here. All right. And it's a non, uh, high school or elementary school employee. So just, uh, nor whoever volunteers or whatever. And I wasn't presented to this by, uh, one of the coaches or one of the parents that was the English teacher at London. And so she gets up and I was like, like, who the fuck? I don't know who this lady is. She's presenting. And the reason why she presents because, uh, every year, in her class, they have to, the kids have to do some kind of paper on someone they admire. And, uh, whew, I'm getting choked up. And it was me. I got, she goes, I get them all the time. And, uh, so that was like, I realized, holy shit, like, this is awesome. Like, I'm making a difference in these kids' life. And I always, you know, 
when I first started really getting into training and all this stuff, I'll never forget people. Uh, when I was like at Elite FTS mm-hmm. and we were answering questions and stuff like that. The, for those that don't know, the EFS Q&A was massive back in the day. And uh, I remember people saying, like, uh, your guys are so high on your horse, you're not carrying cancer. I'm like, well, fucker, either are you. No one is. No one's carrying cancer. That doesn't make my job or your job or anyone's job uh, less important. And I remember I love going to, like, love getting cheeseburgers. I fucking love. I'm, I don't care. I'm like, fast food's bad. Dude, cheeseburgers are awesome. And I remember, like, when those, when you get your order wrong, how mad are you? Like, you're pissed. Yeah, especially when you pull off and you're, like, half yeah. at home. Yeah. Like, damn it. And I was like, that's, then you realize, dude, everyone's job matters. Like, like that's important. It may not be the most important thing, but no one's job is that important. And then, uh, so I, I, I try to treat people with the respect, uh, no matter what. Um, and, uh, so I realized like, again, I'm not at Nebraska or I'm not at Ohio state, but I'm still making the world, my world that my live in my, uh, circle of influence. I'm trying to make better. I really am. Well, and, actually on the, on the fridge out in the gym, I had bought some of your stuff off your website and you, you do have that quote. If you want to change the world, yeah. you know, raise good kids, coach or mentor. And if you don't want to do any of those things, just keep your hands off of them. Oh, you know where I got that from? This is uh there's a documentary called the other F word and uh, refers to father. And it, it was a documentary on like punk and hardcore bands mm-hmm. that were all anti-authority and you know, fuck everything. And now they're dads and parents. And they're like, well, how did, how did you uh, go from being anti-authority to now you're the man, you know, the man. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I think it was the singer for Pennywise. And I'm not very familiar with any of these bands. I just remember that name uh, because of the clown. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, for years, I thought I was doing good by my lyrics and telling everyone this and that. And he was realized I wasn't doing much. It wasn't until I had kids that I realized that if you want to change the world, you got to raise good kids. So, you know, um, not saying again, if you're not doing that, you're still important, but I think, man, it makes a difference. And, uh, you never know who you're going to reach. You don't know. I try to be very uh, cautious of what I say. I don't want to be negative, but you never know what's going to really, someone's going to remember good or bad, you know? And, uh, so I think that's super important, man. And uh, I I love coaching the kids because I don't control anyone's playing time either. So they, they know they don't have to act a certain way or, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of the, just the coach that hangs out there and I try to be, uh, I always try to be very positive and stuff, but I bust these kids balls and I just, it's brutal. Some of these kids are like, holy shit. I'm like, you guys got to learn how to talk trash around here because I, I'll kill every one of you motherfuckers. <laughs> I'll ruin you. You know, and that that's kind of the rule in the gym out there. You know, uh, I I don't deal with parents. I make that yeah. pretty clear off the bat. It, it doesn't cost yeah. any, it doesn't cost anything to come out here, but this is the deal. It's it's uncensored when you walk in the door. You you may not like the music, but they do. Yes. You know, you may not like the way they talk to each other, but they do. So, our social environment. I, yeah, I think that that trash talking smart aleck i think it almost does more than the weights yeah uh yeah i well the weights build that because now all of a sudden you're talking shit to each other and it's never 
I think if you wrote it down and someone read it, you're like, holy shit, these kids hate each other. You know, or this coach, what is he saying? But if you're if you're in the context, everyone's got their fucking crying their eyes out, they're laughing so hard. And that builds such a camaraderie. And that's what the 90% of the people who aren't really in locker rooms or don't understand the this kind of uh male bonding sort of thing. It's just uh it's super important. I think it's uh you know, and uh I even I it's gotta be amazing when you're in combat the amount of brotherhood and shit talking has got to be at a whole other level too and uh so it's always funny when i hear like uh you see some videos some guys at war and what they're saying like oh my god it's like dude he just picked off the leg of one of his buddies like this is what keeps him normal you know and uh you know he's he's seen help so let it go a little bit you know the other thing i've noticed is the kids that avoid it because they're scared of that talking yeah. and that they're probably the ones that actually need it the most. And if they, if they understood how to process it and handle it, they would probably get the most growth out of that situation. Well, you know, what ends up happening is the kids that are start to have success, then they start to build that confidence. And then that confidence starts getting into the verbal skills and uh, then they start to interact and, uh, uh, here's a, a great, this is kind of what I'm talking about. My first day at uh, football practice at Arizona was spring. I enrolled in the uh, the spring semester. So I, I made the team and I, my spring ball, the first day we uh, were in full pads, uh, for some reason I get to go out there and I got in a fight. Someone did something shitty to me and I was like, I, dude, I can't back down. It's like prison. Like, listen. And uh I'll never forget, like, I just started fucking wailing on this guy. And then one guy grabbed this arm, one guy grabbed this arm, guy held me, and the other guy just started wailing the shit out of me. And I was like, oh, like. And so after the end of practice, the start, one of the starting linebackers went, hey, you're going out with us tonight, man. You fucking hung in. You took your fucking punches. I was like, all right, you know. Um, so I think, but that kind of. I see these when they start getting a little physically fit and more sure of themselves. And that's just part of maturing, you know, even without the weight room and all that other stuff. But I think it really accelerates it. I, then you start seeing the kids shit talk. And uh, one of the greatest shit talkers of all time on our team was one of the quietest, dorkiest guys you've ever seen by his senior year. This guy was just out of his mind. And what a terrific kid, too. I mean, unbelievable kid. Um, and I... His first time in the weight room, like he was dumbbell squatting. Where that's what we start kids with is a dumbbell squat. He basically fell over with a thirty-five pound dumbbell. His senior year, his traps are up to his, uh, I mean, comically large, just jacked up, fucking shredded. Uh, I see him running down a country road with his weight vest on. Just yeah, just getting some extra. You know, I'm like, holy shit, this kid turned into a machine. Like, uh, so it's like, wow, what an, you know. Now, that kid was a little different uh, as far as, much, you know, uh, his dedication to being awesome. And I'll give this kid credit, too. He wrestled all four years. I don't know if he won more than a handful of matches. And I asked him, like, how you doing wrestling? He's like, not good. Not good at all. But it never deterred him. He said, you know, I'm out there. I'm kicking ass. And he had, a, he had like, an eight-year plan. Uh, and he's still doing great right now. So uh, he's off in uh, college and he's doing uh, marine art to ROTC. 
So, but anyway, that's, uh, but I just watched his development. It was, it was really good. Unbelievable. So, anyway. so, so talking about development, you know, and, and some of the different guys I've gotten to talk to, they've got me down some rabbit holes, some neurological rabbit holes, and you're always studying for the next guest and you're researching yeah. their stuff. So you have questions. So taking what like a guy like Dan Fichter saying or Chris Corfus is saying, and then bringing it back around, then I listen to you and it's like, well, crap, I think, I think he's on the same track. Uh, your warm up, the gymnastics, the neurological stuff, noticing that kids just don't know where any part of their body is. It's like diarrhea. Yeah. And, uh, we started doing that. I don't remember how I got that. Oh, I got that idea from. Oh my God, Stan Laprati, who was a gym, uh, high school, uh, physical education teacher in the sixties and seventies, maybe. But Stan Laprati, it was a, it was in California and his physical education program was out of this world. I mean, have you ever heard of this guy? No, no, I don't oh look into God. it. And he, they made a documentary about this and that God, what's it called? The, uh, I can't remember, but it's on Amazon. And, uh, but anyway, his, if you saw what he was able to get these kids to do, that was a different time and different era. You, you would think that these guys were going to, it was all like for special forces, like indoctrination or something. It's unbelievable how, uh, hard these kids work and how successful this program was. And I looked at some of the stuff that he did. And uh, that's when I was like, you know what? These kids just need a bit better at the base, like jumping jacks. We do four, four and six count burpees. We do forward rolls, cartwheels, uh, you know, duck walks, bear crawls, all that stuff that maybe isn't cool. You know, it's not transverse, abdominus, rectus, you know, you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't need, I don't follow any of that stuff. So, but it's just simple stuff that a lot of kids used to get 30, 40, 50 years ago, just being kids. And they're just not getting anymore. Like I would love to have uh, a climbing, climbing ropes everywhere, uh, monkey bars. Um, and we do a ton of jumping, not just like plyometrics and stuff. We just do jumps. We just, we're jumping. Let's go ahead and jump. Let's see what we got. And we work on landing and all that other stuff. So I just think just again, body awareness. And I think the other the hidden gem is it improves mobility quite a bit. You can't really do a forward roll with tight hips. You know, you're just going to kind of flop over. So all that stuff kind of works together. Um, and even like, uh, well, shit, what's it called? Grab walks, tremendous for your uh, shoulder mobility and glutes and all that stuff. So, I mean, it all kind of works together. I think a lot of times we overthink a lot of this stuff. Uh, when Again, if the kid can't do some of these basic things, let's just get them get them on that track. We do a shit ton of body weight exercises too, a lot of body weight squats, tons of pull ups and chin ups, um, dips, put a lot of push ups too. And I always yell at the kids, "Who here's too good to do a push up?" And it's like, "God damn right, no one is." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, but we we do pull ups three times a week usually, you know, in some shape or fashion. So, uh, and we. The heavier kids do like the, we sometimes do band pull-ups, you know, or mm -hmm. we'll, we do jumping pull-ups where you jump up the bar hold and lower yourself down, stuff like that. But we had, last year, we had two seniors way, they were huge kids. One was about, they're both around 315-ish, and they both did 11 pull-ups. 
and uh it's a high school kid you know just and they started off with the band just barely getting sets of two and three and uh we just worked at it and worked at it so um but anyway uh super proud of how that worked uh, those kids work though uh so that's a testament to their it's it's hard to do participate in a exercise where you're not good yeah nobody nobody wants to not be good yeah so it's it's you know i and i think the competitive nature of the sport the kids were competitive too so that obviously helps but whatever now adding this in uh, the body awareness the all the things you do have you noticed an increase in speed just because of body awareness speed uh came from when we got stronger I think that's when we really start. We don't do any like technical speed, uh, maybe a little bit here and there, but, uh, <clears throat> I think we're so behind the eight ball with that stuff as far as physical development. Um, and my first off season, that first year, uh, we, uh, all we did was just basic, you know, hundreds and fifties and just conditioning work really. And we get to that first game and, Every, every kid on the team, like, was so much faster. And my head coach said, what, how'd that happen? I'm like, well, this kid could only squat 150 pounds. He's squatting two, 255 now for eight. What do you think was going to happen? Like, he's going to get, he's, he didn't get any fatter. He got leaner. We're always running, but we got stronger. And so, like, my, there's nothing wrong with speed work, but when I see a kid again who can't do some of the basics, what the hell's a fast claw going to do for a kid who can't do a push up? Let's get him physically fit. And I, it's, it's, it was a very free notion in my mind when I could get rid of all this shit that is like, uh, the fads in fitness or strength conditioning for athletes. I'm like, let's just get these kids awesome. I just want my, I always tell them, I just want an army, a team of assassins out there. Just, uh, guys who go recon fucking up a mountain and kick ass. And that's what we want. And I, once we kind of just kind of embraced, like, listen, this is who we are. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, I'm not terribly well versed in that stuff. Like I, I ran track and I wasn't terribly fast, but I just ran, you ran, you know, uh, and I, so like I've reason why we don't do power cleans and hand cleans. I'm, I was very good at that lift. I'm just not a very good coach. Uh, but at the same time, like, what's the point? Like we jump a lot. We, everything we do is try to be explosive. And, uh, again, we got kids like, I'm sure you've worked with kids like getting some of these young kids to even arch their back is like, do you think I need to load him now and be an explosive movement if they can't even arch very well? Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think everything contributes, but I really think the jumping and the just getting stronger helps. And I, you know, I always tell the kids, you know, what this is Louis Simmons, like why are men faster than women? They're stronger, you know, and the great sprinters were always super strong. And no one really believes me until we go out and play. And it's like, holy shit. Like we had our, uh, that first year, <clears throat> our quarter, we, we, uh, ran like a two tights at that time and we ran three, the stack eye. We had three running backs. That's all we did. And, uh, so our formation was the same regardless of what we were doing. And our quarterback did a, uh, a bootleg, but he didn't tell anyone else. And he's, he wasn't the fastest kid on the team by far. He ran for like 45 yards and he crossed, you know, go over the, the, uh, the goal line at the corner, you know, just barely getting in. And he ran right up to me. He's like, holy shit. Like, actually, I ran someone. And what's, what's crazy about that kid 
uh, I've never seen a kid. We run the quarterback sneak like no one else. We That's a main play for us. We will quarterback sneak you to fucking death. We'll get 6, 12, 15 yards, which is V formation, that stuff, like the flying geese, and just pile the shit out of you. And this kid, you know, you know what, if you're watching from the sideline, it's just chaos. And then all of a sudden, he just pops out. Like, what the fuck? Did you, how is this possible? Like, and he just, you know, just grinded dudes out. So, uh, but that was Josh. He's Josh Hamlin. What a great kid, too. Just a super kid. Uh, but anyway, so. I played for a great coach here in Missouri. You know, he, he's a legend in this part of the world. But he, he kind of explained what you explained. At the end of the day, it's basic math. Yep. You know, and three times four is 12, and that's a first down. So let's keep rolling. Well, my first, uh, after my first two off seasons, we had a running back, uh, for his junior year, he had like 3,000 yards rushing. And his senior year, he had like 26. His senior year, I don't think he played a fourth quarter until the playoffs. And his senior year, we also had a kid who was like a 14 or 1500 yard rusher too. Like we were so, uh, he just hand the ball. He just blast through everyone, break a couple tackles and then no one could catch him. So, uh, I, that was nothing to do with me. That kid was just one of the most phenomenal running backs I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so like it was like, yeah, we just want to run out the clock. It's like, fuck, we just scored. We <laughs> a two play drive. God damn it. We were one game, I think in the first quarter, he had four carries for 221 yards and four touchdowns. So he I always like he's like, listen, if you want to score a touchdown, go ahead and give me give me the ball. Until then, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Just hold him on the bench until you yeah. score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need a we need to drive here. <laughs> So, I mean, we're talking about the success that that you're seeing now, but going back and listening to some of the stuff when you, when you kind of had taken the job and you started moving into this, it it didn't come on the heels of success. I mean, no. it, it sounds like you you had to reevaluate everything to come yeah. up with what you do now. So, my first year as a coach there, I started off. I didn't. I wasn't doing any of the strength training stuff. I I was on the field coach, and I think there was like. Uh, at that time, it was we just started two a days. Like I was the second or third day of two a days, maybe. And uh, that year, we won three games, and we got our asses handed to us all over the field. And during that season, I eventually morphed into uh, the strength stuff. Um, but that year was the best year we could ever hope for. And I know it sounds horrible because we got our asses kicked all the way up and down the field. And I always say if we were five and five, we could have justified a lot of the stuff we were doing. But after that year, uh, the, the head coach trains with the kids every day. He does exactly what we do, and he's in there kicking ass. So I got to talk to him all the time. Obviously, we're good friends, and we talk all the time. And I remember telling him. I know I didn't know him prior to this, I should say. So I remember uh, – during that first off season, he's looking at me and he's like, Hey, you know, give me your honest assessment. I'm like, well, how honest do you want? I always ask people that way. Do you want the, the truth? And, uh, I'm like, dude, we need to change this, 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 all this. To, I just had a laundry list of shit. I'm like, basically let's just do the exact opposite of everything we did. Cause it couldn't get any worse. Uh, and, uh, so we changed everything. We changed like two a days. We don't even have, we don't do two a days anymore. And, uh, we lift, 
uh, lifting such a big deal that we will lift. We never miss a lift during uh, the summer or during two days. That's more important almost because that's what we built our, our kit. Now we obviously change things up. They're not like a, it's not like we're spending an hour in there busting heads, but that is a priority. And uh, but we changed every change how our offense was. We changed the simplicity of our defense. We don't condition during the year at all. Remember fourth? Did you ever play football? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yes, you did. Remember fourth quarter every practice? Yeah, we cut that out. We cut that out. And first, we're a very small team, uh, so the kids are running all over practice anyway. And then I remember telling uh, the head coach, I'm like, "Dude, we're making you're making the kids too tired. By the time they get to Friday, they're exhausted." So what a lot of coaches will see, let's say you and I are running hundreds and whatever after every practice, by the time the game rolls around, we're exhausted. The coaches get pissed. And what do they do when the coaches get pissed on Saturday? They run the shit out of you. So it's, it's it makes no sense. And so I came up with the analogy, like if I t- you know, told the head coach, like, hey, if we had a big bench meet on Friday, why would you bench heavy and hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and expect anything other than a shit performance on Friday? And it was like, oh, my God, yeah. So the way that we got around that is we never not run during the off season. We run, we lift three days a week. We run uh, every time after we lift, no matter what. Uh, what is it? What is today? Today's Tuesday. Oh, yeah, okay. So Tuesday. So yesterday, the we had horrible cold wind, like the so windy that our our siding got ripped off of our house. Our, uh, the, it was pouring rain, just stinging rain. We fucking ran. And I told the kids, this is it. This is it. And they loved it. It was horrible. Like, fuck, I'm out there too. I'm, I hated every minute of it, but I'm like, well, we can't stop, uh, for bad weather. You're going to earn a little check mark. And like, you know, during the season, like, Hey, we were out there running when it was horrible. You guys, you know, refused to go, you know, the other team, you guys didn't do this stuff, but I'm a big believer in just the consistency of running. The, the more consistent you are with your running, the less you have to run. So we never have to give up strength or muscle mass or recovery. Even before the season starts, I'd rather have the kids come in slightly out of shape and work themselves into not, not don't get me wrong. We're still running three times a week. We're still running a lot, uh, rather than coming in, uh, you know, overtrained. And then by the time the season starts, they're never going to dig themselves out of that, uh, overtrained hole. I hope I'm making sense here. No, you you definitely are. Yeah. So uh, we just run. And and of course, there's a couple of times when there's like a blizzard, we can't run, but we'll do some kind of body weight uh, conditioning stuff in the weight room. Uh, But that's very rare. So uh, that's a big thing that we changed. But the point being is, if you're not having success, it's just it's not going to help you just doing the same shit over and over. Uh, So uh, and then over the years, we've kind of experimented with stuff here and there not we made some huge errors uh we've had some great success but it's always when we get away from like the who we are i think that's when we start losing uh we start losing you know um and not every year like every year we make the playoffs which is a big deal to me and i told the coach that's going to be the new norm that's what i want like it's and i told him like there's going to be one year when you go we played when you go six and four and it's going to be your best year you've ever had instead of going 12, you know, 12 and 0 or 13 and 0, whatever. And uh, that's going to be the greatest challenge and probably your best coaching year. 
is when it's going to be the toughest. So, and the other thing is my first year as a coach, so our, our very bad season, we probably had, I don't know, at the end of the year, we had seven or eight guys on our team uh, hurt. Okay. That means both everyone goes both ways in our school. So that means there's seven, you know, we only have three starters, four starters on each side of the ball from the first year, uh, from the first game. Uh, magically, when we win, guess what happens to injuries? Yeah, they're going to go way down. Yeah. It's imagine it like if you're playing in a state title, you don't have an injured kid on the team. Yeah. So, and so we, we always, you know, obviously going to get some injuries here and there because it's the nature of the game. But because our kids are well trained, they're physically fit and they're not tired all the time. That doesn't mean that practices aren't hard. It means we assess everything. Uh, and as an example, we lift on Mondays and Wednesdays uh, during the season, and we do a yoga day. I run a yoga uh, at the school. I, I do two classes there uh, as a volunteer. And uh, after each day, <clears throat> I will text the head coach or talk to him and stuff. I'm like, dude, you got to back off today. The kids are, you know, a bad way. And he does. We, maybe we don't put on pads or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. We'll cut practice short a little bit. So it's, it's a, uh, instead of, again, instead of just beating the kids into the ground, like it's said, we try to do what's, we want the kids ready on Friday. So we try to do what's best for the kids uh, to perform. And there's, there was years where we didn't even hit during the year. And uh, the coach said, when you guys show up and beat the shit out of people on Friday night, you've earned the right to that next week. But until then, uh, but, but, you know, if you take a dump, yeah, we'll go back to pads if we feel like you need to hit. And the kid's like, fuck, we need, like, now we're going to practice harder so we don't have to bang every day, uh, and, you know, beat the, beat the shit out of our bodies. So, you know, and I thought about this a little bit and I don't know, we'll kind of see what you think, but I, but really coaching, especially football seems to me like it is essentially the study of economics. You know, yeah, energy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're dealing with the scarcity mindset all the time. So if the kids have the energy to give, you're going to get the energy. But now you, if you send your economy into inflation, yep. well, now the kids don't have, they don't have the energy to spend. And then what happens? The coach says, uh, we're not conditioned. Yeah. Well, the grand scheme of things, you're over conditioned. So what'd you do? You just sent your program into a, into a depression. Yeah. You know? It's it's just looking at it in the grand scheme of things. It's there's a self preservation in those kids that's only going to allow them to give so much. Yep. And if yep. you can't pick it out, so I I I think that's kind of where you were heading, and I'd been thinking about that for a while. So it just kind of blended together. Yeah. Well, there's uh, the um, how do I put this? I always talk about uh, every time you do anything stressful. John Meadows always said that you. you Digging a hole, uh, and eventually, if it's the hole's too deep, um, so every time you do something hard, you're stressed out, you don't eat, whatever, you you uh, shoveling dirt out of a hole. Every time you sleep well, recover better, you put the dirt back in the hole. The problem is, especially towards the end of the season, sometimes that hole is so deep that you're never going to get out. So that's another thing that we really stress. And I say this to coaches all the time is I, instead of looking at the off season and in season, I looked at the in season first because I think the in season is the most important part of training because I always tell the kids, do you want to be able to deadlift 500 pounds in, uh, May or June? Or would you rather do it 
on Thanksgiving when you're the strongest. I want the kids stronger at the end of the season than they were at the start. Now that takes juggling. You know, it takes a lot of, uh, you got to really read the kids and stuff like that. But my goal is to always have our kids fresh and feeling awesome every Friday. And I want them feeling big, not just knowing, not just, you know, uh, not just, you know, lifting big, so to speak. Uh, and that doesn't mean we max out and do all kinds of crazy shit. It just means you do what's necessary at the time. So I want those kids feeling good, uh, not just physically, but uh, emotionally too. I think it's a huge thing. You know, that's one of the things like I always, people always do the fourth quarter. I say, uh-huh. fuck that. We're the first quarter team. <laughs> I want to bury them early. So I don't, they'll never want to come back. And I'm saying that first play, those first drive, that's the most important thing. You know, like even if we don't get a first down, you put someone on the back and choke them a little bit. You let them know, you know, who they're effing with tonight. So you get it all worked back. I mean, that that's amazing that I guess you were able to get it all set up. And I, I think talking to people, they don't understand that. You don't, you don't figure the start of the season. You, you want to figure what your most important game is. And then yeah. all the training gets scheduled backwards from there. Yeah. And, you know, essentially, like I always had this question is like, uh, we don't like peak, you know, I'm so like, like a power lifter. And I always thought like, well, when are you supposed to peak as a football player? It's impossible. Uh, like, is it the conference game? Is it, you know, the state? like whatever, there's a million games that are important. So, um, but my goal was to, uh, they're young kids too. So they obviously recover a little better. Um, but like we don't in the off season, we don't do a lot of variation of exercises. Um, because once the season starts, we obviously narrow down the list, but those kids, when I tell them we're doing chin ups and dumbbell rows or whatever, They've done a million sets of those things and they're never going to get sore because they've done it for four fucking years. The same stupid lifts. I think my first off season, we did seven lifts total. That counts the assistance lifts, just seven. And I told them, you guys will be bored to death. But when the, the season comes and I tell you to go something you know, heavy on this and that, you're going to be fine because you're never, I got that from a, a rugby coach. I remember reading an article. I'm like, oh my God, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. So while everyone preaches all of this, you know, do a million different things and always challenge the body, I'm like, I just went the opposite way. And that's really, that's really, uh, uh, Ivan Abijev, they did three exercises, uh, Bulgarian weightlifter, and they were able to do that quite a bit, uh, without getting terribly sore all the time. Now I wasn't there. I'm sure those guys were, you know, like shit all the time, maxing out 90 times a day. But I think that's super important. And these kids are not, incredibly efficient at their movements yet. It's not like they've been lifting for 20 years and they need some kind of variety. That doesn't mean we don't do some different stuff here and there, but I really want the kids during the season, especially like, listen, we're not doing anything new. We're not doing anything. It's going to be boring as hell. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing too, during the season, I know this, I'm just going off on a tangent. When I know the kids are shitty, obviously we back off, but I'll never put them in a position where they know they're shitty. So we'll never do a week. Uh, I'll adjust the workout. So instead of like, listen, we're just going to go up to this set and we're just going to do a set of two here or four set, whatever, whatever the prescription is for that day. But I never want them to know that they're feeling weak. Does that make sense? So, Because that's a mind game, man. You never want to chink their armor. You- no. Yeah. And I always tell the kid, like I, one of the kids learned, he went for an extra rep. And I, I said, I told him like, listen, you're only doing one rep here. 
It's not a max, but I just want one fast, awesome breath. Like an idiot, he did too. And I'm like, what did I tell you? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, after that first rep, you thought you could get two. Like, so if you would have racked it, you would have won. You know, and that extra rep didn't make him any stronger, you know, uh, physically. So I'm like, he goes, holy shit, now I get it. I'm like, yeah, you just don't want to know. Well, like the psychological game is is so oh big, God. you know. I like I, I have your five three one powerlifting book in there, and and I want to say in that book you talk about don't take any weights you're going to miss. No, no. My Be- wife asked me that the other day. She said, "How many times have you missed a weight?" I'm like, "Well, you know, you're younger, you kind of fuck around." But when I was at Westside and stuff, I rarely missed weights. Now, Lou, we always talked about that, like uh, you know, going to failure. But we know it. I mean, I never went to failure. And very few guys did. And I always, even when, uh, uh, again, with the way I coach the kids, I never want to put them in a position where they're going to fail. And like, especially at the main lifts, that's just a recipe for disaster. Um, so well, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other massive thing with Louie and Westside and all that stuff. So, well, the opponent on Friday night. I mean, that's your, that's who's going to yes. ch- chink their armor. You you don't want to come home to the people that are supposed to be supporting you and helping you and have them beat you down also. So yeah. setting that up where they're always winning when they're at home, that's why home field advantage is supposed to matter. Yep. Well, I always, like, I always tell my wife, uh, our home is where we should go to get away from all the shit. I don't want to have to be stressed out at home, ever. Like, and so we don't fight. We don't raise our voices at each other. We don't do it. We work everything out and everything's fine. And it's the same kind of thing. Like you said, during the, the only opponent you should battle is the guy in front of you, not your coaches, not your teammates, not your knees, not, you know, your back or whatever. Now that stuff's going to happen, but we try to minimize all the bullshit as much as possible. And I think we've done a good job. You know, that here's another thing. I know I'm going to get shit on for this. I don't give a crap. <clears throat> this year we abandoned all the uh the uh sports specific conditioning. We just ran. We ran four hundreds, three hundreds, two hundreds. That's all we did. We ran the shit because the kids were just not conditioned. I just I just felt like, listen, these kids just need to run. Like it doesn't have to be super scientific. Our kids are in better shape right now, are leaner than they've ever been. So we do what I call the rate. We just do laps around the field, you know, which is, I think, 340 yards or something when you go around the field. We do shit tons of those. Just we have a rest periods and we just run. And the kids at first didn't like it, right? Because it's not a 20 yard sprint. But I'm like, man, look, we just need to get in just general shape. Let's just worry about the other stuff later. Uh, so now, so we run, you know, kind of old school running. Monday and Wednesday, and on Friday, we push the prowler. The kids, now prowler's much more sports-specific. It's about six seconds of uh, effort, right? So I figured out it's about 20 yards. It's about what works out. When we are conditioned, so that the, the prowler conditioning is kind of indicative of where we are as a team, all right, because it's more football and how we do it and stuff and the rest periods, all that stuff. Our kids are in better prowler shape right now Thus, what I believe to be better football shape than they've ever been. We are about four months ahead of schedule right now with our conditioning, just from doing old school, stupid running, you know. And one of the things that always kind of, and I believe this too, was like, you know, if you run long distance, you're going to get slower. And there might be some to that. 
But if you're a young Chuck kid, if you can't run a mile, not jog, if you can't run a mile, you're just not in good shape. You're, you're supposed to be a young athlete. You're supposed to be able to kick ass at this stuff. Now, yeah, if you're, you know, overweight or you're 300 pounds, whatever, that's different. And you know what? If you're Mike Allstott, we were talking about Allstott earlier, like he doesn't need to run a mile. But these kids, guess what? None of them is Mike Allstott. You know, so these kids just need to run. They just need to be physically fit. And as soon as I kind of, like, again, I embrace that in my own ideas. I'm like, fuck, it's so much simpler. Let's just get the kids awesome. And, well, uh, and you're in an environment similar to I am here. You know, it's it's a very small town. It's a rural community. Uh, yes. a, a, every kid has to be a commodity. You you have to get yes. them out, or you you go to eight man, and then maybe eventually you lose your football team. But in but in saying that, yeah, your general level of preparedness in in you know half of your team's not going to be great. No. So you have to figure out a way to build it. Well, like I said, we have about fifty kids. Sometimes a little more. Uh, depending on the season, but that's from freshman to, to uh, senior. And really, most kids, almost everyone plays both ways. Now, we'll rotate the D-line a little bit to give them a – because most of the – obviously, old linemen play D-line. But those kids, uh, like, if we get injured, it fucks us, man. It's tough because we know, you know, like, one kid goes out, like, we don't have that depth. And uh, so – Again, we talk about uh, not conditioning during the season, which seems backwards, but that keeps the kids fresh during the game. They can play a little harder. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it is, I basically had to kind of unlearn a lot of stuff that I thought was kind of gospel or stuff that has changed uh, because of the, you know, the growing obesity epidemic and all that other stuff. Like you really had to think you're not dealing with young ass kickers like you were 40 years ago. You know, it's just uh, just not going to happen. So. I mean, we talked about Boyd Epley before the show. I know, I know you're a fan of his. I'm a fan of his. Yes. But you you read that book that that he put out, and he'd stumbled across this in Nebraska's you know glory years. Yeah. You know, they were better conditioned than Miami. We talked about that in that '94 game. Yep. And according to Boyd, they had done away with with so they got him in shape and then just left him alone. Yep. You know, and yep. it, it showed on the field. Yes. I, you know, the, the cool thing is we have a kid who is, uh, going to play college football. Uh, so he's reporting, I think in late June, I want to say, but he's going to come over here and I designed my own metabolic circuit for him. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nebraska metabolic circuit. Not, not, I heard you talk about the other day on, on a podcast and man, I'd really like to dig into that a little bit further, but no. Oh yeah. We're going to, I, I, because I have my own weight room here, we don't have all the stuff that Nebraska has up. So I had to revamp a bunch of stuff. I have my notes. I have so many pieces of paper on my desk somewhere here. So he agreed to do it. He's pumped up and I'm really excited because this is the kind of kid that uh, you tell him, Hey, listen, four meals a day, you eat. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, all right, that's what I'm eating. Like, it's not, Oh man, really? He's the kind of kid that will do whatever. So I think we're, and my whole goal, I told him, like, listen, this six week period, we're just putting muscle mass on. We're going to put on as much muscle mass as possible. Uh, we're still going to adhere to my basic principles. So I kind of have some idea of what we're doing and I'll be able to kind of riff on what I need to change here and there based on what he's doing. But I'm super excited. So yeah, I'm, it's, I, you know, he's very happy, obviously, because, uh, you know, he's like, I get to lift with you and, 
And I'm like, dude, you're doing me a huge favor because I've been wanting to do this for years and I can't do it. Uh, there's just, it just don't have the uh, resources at our high school gym to run. Cause you remember Nebraska's weight room. I mean, yeah. And plus there's one of me, there's like 30 of those guys at, at Nebraska, uh, running stuff. So I'm pretty excited. And, and uh, so my, most of my coaching will be programming and not actually coaching, which is going to be kind of different for me. So well, you, you talk about the Nebraska weight room. The first time I ever walked into it, I mean, it, it takes your breath away. I would not I mean, ever seen it. I've just seen pictures. You, you walk in and you got all the national championship trophies on one side. So then you walk up, they got an indoor waterfall and then all their trophies. So then yeah. you, you turn left, like you're going into the, the weight room and it, they have a little room that looks like, looks like something off Star Trek. You know, it's like a white little bubble and you walk in there. And then you watch these presentations. And so they have, uh, I think when I was there, they had three of them, you know, Nebraska on game day and a Heisman trophy one and, uh, maybe a national championship one, but in the Heisman trophy ones, the Heisman trophies come out of the wall and then they're sitting right there, you know, and then from there you walk out and then you just walk in into this. I don't even know how many racks, you know, and everything's Husker power. Everything's labeled. It's just like, Holy cow. Yeah, it'll just take your breath away. See, I wish I could visit it about the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I really think I'm probably going to get shit on for this. I think they kind of lost their way when they went to more machine stuff. And uh, that's just my opinion. Um, but uh, some of the, I used to have an old Nebraska Husker Power VHS tape. Uh, that detailed kind of what they do. And it had uh, some highlights of the kids. They used to have like a raised platform where they had a squat rack, a bench press, and a clean, a inkling station. And only record holders could lift there. It was like, it was roped off. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. I was like, not thinking that I'd ever get on there, but I'm like, damn, that's, that's the way it should be. Like, uh, you know, when you're, a record holder, but the video had, I'll never forget. It had a, uh, one of their D line and bench and 500 and it was legit 500 pound bench. It had a safety or cornerback hang cleaning 286 for 10. And it wasn't like, you know, even if it was sloppy, who gives a shit? Like you're bringing that bar up. It was really solid. It's just amazing. And they had a linebacker, I think, uh, vertical jump. This was, probably 1989 the video probably took place somewhere around there <clears throat> he uh jumped up i think 42 inches and uh it's unbelievable you're, you're talking about that so i live in western missouri south of kansas city so we we border kansas it's just right there so in all the things i've done you run into a lot of guys that that played at k-state or they played at ku yeah. so they 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 were opposing nebraska in the big big eight days and uh boyd Epley, with him there was there was no secrets he he would go to all those schools and show them what they were doing, you know, and those guys would say he would come in and he would start showing us this stuff. And the, their defensive linemen were doing box jumps that our safeties could barely do. Yep. You know, they were just they were just freaks. And it's like, how do you beat that? You know, I mean, he was just so far ahead of the curve. Boyd uh, Epley, I've never he did. It's, it's on uh, YouTube. Uh, I was at a hammer strength, uh, 
presentation things, whatever, a, a, a seminar that was hosted by Hammer Strength or Power Lift or one of those. And I'll never, he said, uh, you know, he got the introduction and uh, he said, well, what's the goal of the strength? What should be your goal as a strength conditioning coach for a power athlete? And of course, everyone's sitting on their hands. Like, I wouldn't answer anything. Like, And he said, build muscle. And it was antithesis of everything that you read right now. Everything's about mobility and speed and all this stuff. And his line of thinking was, if I make a kid bigger, more muscular, not fatter, more muscular, he's going to be faster, more agile. He'll, he'll be able to uh, just be better athlete. And so, and especially with our young kids, that's my, <clears throat> I tell them all the time, like we need to body build. Uh, we call it win the battle of the bus. So we do powerful reps with the uh, with the barbell, and then we just bot we we just body build. When I say body, we're just doing a lot of reps and a lot mm-hmm. of volume and stuff like that. Uh, and I uh, just want our kids to look bigger. And uh, like I said, we want to win the battle of the bus. You know, stepping off the bus and want to look a little big. Um, and if you don't think that matters, you have no idea. Cause yeah, because you talk about you, you know watching them old tapes. Boy, Epley saved the University of Nebraska so much money in shirts because yeah. they never had to buy a full shirt because them guys wouldn't wear them. <laughs> but man, I just uh, uh, I miss those days, and I still probably watch uh, a game every couple months or something. I'll put something on because uh, all the bit games from like the ninety four, ninety five, ninety seven season are on there, and it's phenomenal. So I mean, if, I remember seeing an interview with Scott Frost from back in the day, and it was after a game. You know, he's got his pads off, and his white T-shirt was ripped a little bit, and you could see his trap just sticking out. And it was like, is that? If you didn't know, you're like that guy's a linebacker. There's no way. He was just. He was. I mean, he was obviously a big kid, uh, but uh, unbelievable. So, well, I, I heard you talk about this the other day, and I thought it was so accurate. Is like, you know. You wouldn't even fight the punter, no the kicker on those teams. They walked out jacked. From that, I, I saw the interview with uh, God, what's his name, Chris. I can't remember, but he's the. I think he's the all-time leading scorer at Nebraska. He was their kicker, but I yeah, saw and his, his brother kicked there too. And I cannot think of the last name to save my life, but yes. Uh, man. Anyway, I saw an interview and I was looking at him like his neck was comical. I mean, <laughs> just thick as hell, and I was like, oh God. Like there's old linemen now that don't even have that. Man. Not saying that they're not uh, these. The the upper echelon today are so highly just better at everything, more athletic, faster, all that stuff. And so people will always. I'm, I've gotten this criticism, like how can you say that guys were better and stronger back in the day when you have you know the freaks of nature? And I said, well, the freaks are like there's always going to be that top one to two percent. I'm like I'm talking about the the more average dudes, those have really gone down. And uh, so there's always going to be that massive separation, you know, uh, but it's the average guys that we really need to bring up. And that's where we're lacking. And when you're uh, with working with high school kids, all your kids are pretty much average. I mean, of course, you're going to get some crazy kids here and there. But for the most part, you're dealing with average kids who just need to get bigger, get in better shape and just become physically fit, you know, so. I, again, I say bigger. I don't care about the body weight. I just care about how how much muscle we're putting on. So, right, and how yeah, how they look. I heard you talk about before, like prom muscles. You you want yeah. them to, you want them to look like they work out. Yeah, and it's super important, man. Our kids, man, you know how it is. Kids walking in, 
my first off season, we kicked so much ass in the first three months that the head coach was getting like weird questions from teachers. Like what's going on, man? Cause everyone got bigger because we were resting more. We were doing, uh, you know, being smarter with our lifting. And it was mm-hmm. the funny thing is that the, <clears throat> the thing that changed the most, this was not me saying this is my wife. She said, everyone's butts got bigger and everyone's traps got bigger. And I'm like, I did my job. There were the two things you want them to have. That's right. And he's like, they're starting to look like you now. I'm like, what am I going to do? Not, not, not me anymore. That's for sure. But, uh, whatever. They, they, they don't need cowboy rules on their pads. They just walk no, out with their pads no. sitting up there. No. Oh, I, I don't think, I think maybe one kid roll had to wear a neck roll since I've been here. It's always, uh, sad days, man. Sad days. I don't even, you know, I, it, I guess they would probably help in our offense the way we run stuff, but it's just, it's rare to see that anymore. It stinks. And they said they did some kind of study that doesn't really show like it helps. But when I was playing fullback, man, having that thing brace my neck, uh, what a difference, man. Cause that thing will whip you back, you know, cause we live, <clears throat> we used to lead with the head. That was just how it was done. You just put your, you didn't put your head down and you just, oh my God. Oh. I'm sure I'm paying the price at some point for that, but whatever. Yeah. I want to tell the kids, if you didn't want to use your head, they wouldn't give you a helmet. <laughs> I can put that thing right between someone's numbers. Come on. If you My hit dad a- is an old school football guy, and he's like, how the hell can they teach someone how to tackle? You put it right between the numbers. What the hell's up with this shit? If you hit them hard enough, you should see a little bit of stars when you get yeah. out. Yeah. If you're seeing stars, that guy's really – we got a couple kids on our team who are maybe not the biggest guys, but you know how it is. They're fearless hitters. And I remember this kid hit a, one of our kids hit another guy. And I remember thinking, holy shit, this kid might be dead. It's up or his leg was broken in half. It was the one of the loudest hits I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, they, this guy, our player got flagged and it was for unsportsmanlike conduct on the hit, but it wasn't like a, wasn't the crown hit. It was just that bad. It was just that aggressive and yeah, and, and just it was like brutal. it was like, and I I wasn't even like I'll take that fifteen yard penalty, but yeah, good luck catching the ball over the center. <laughs> Knock yourselves out, guys. That's kind of like the old little league rule, you know. You send your pitcher out there and just have him hit the first kid. Yeah, yeah. you know, th- then he has the box the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> you just throw you know a little chin music here and there, <laughs> smoke him. We had a kid last year who uh, he. Uh, Terrific. He was, you know, I think, uh, might have been like special mention all state. He was going to be, he's going to be a senior, but he sacked the quarterback. And as he did, the quarterback ducked and he got his helmet, you know, in his arm. Look, so it looked like he took his head off and then held it up. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, 15 yard film. Like, dude, that was fucking worth it. That was awesome. <laughs> fucking held it up. Oh, it was so fun. Oh, I'm so proud of him. You know, but you can't cheer, right? <laughs> no, yeah, you just got to kind of stand there and just take it. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that was a, uh, th- that was something I was worried about was I wasn't sure how the kids, you know, were going to respond to this physical style of play. And I, I'll tell you what, the, there's still a lot of dudes out there, a lot of boys out there who want to hit. And I'm super proud of that, man. And I think, I think the other thing they gravitate towards is like, you're just a real guy. So yeah. when you, when you walk in there, you say what you're thinking, you joke around, you bust your balls, you're you 
in that gym, just like you are in your house, just like if they'd see you at the grocery store, there's no put on. You're just, you're just who you are. And I think, I think kids recognize fake. Well, I, I will a million times agree with that. I'll never, even with like the coaches I've had over the years, I remember uh, watching coaches interact with other players and seeing how different they were and not in a good way. Like sometimes like I have to treat kids differently here and there, but they just acted totally different. I'm like, dude, just be yourself. It doesn't matter. Like, listen, like you're a 55 year old white dude from uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan or wherever. Like you're not from the hood. You don't have to be, just be who you are. They don't give a shit. And, uh, but I always try to be, uh, yeah. And I, you know, even with, I always tell coaches like the most important thing I think for you as a coach, obviously, uh, not the most important. One of the most important things is you have to hold yourself up to a high level of discipline that you expect from the players. And every time, uh, I feel kind of drifting off myself. Like I rediscipline with my training and I feel it's reflected in my attitude and my approach. And I think the kids see that. So they're not going to see all the work that you do training wise, you know, me personally, but I think it's you act differently as a coach. And I think that's super important. I never want to feel like I'm asking the kids to do anything discipline wise that I'm not willing to do myself. And I think kids recognize that. And uh, I, like, I sometimes I'll see the other coaches on the other team. I just see them kind of lazy and just, I'm like, kids aren't going to react to that. Like, and I'm not saying you got to be like a jacked up motherfucker or, you know, like a Navy SEAL or anything, but kids recognize uh, who you are, you know, and they're able to sniff that stuff out. It may not be right away, but it'll be, you know, it'll be soon enough. So, uh, but. The other thing I noticed is, is you have to learn not to have a bad day in front of yeah. you because that, that weight room or that time there away from their house, out of school, whatever it is, that might be the best part of their day. Yeah. And then you come in and acting like a jackass just because you're, you're yeah, upset. Yeah. yeah. That really affects how the kids yeah. view you. Well, like I said, I want that time to be a good time for them. I really think that's important. And, uh, like I always joke with my wife, it's, we always make fun of the person who's got to go to lifting, you know, cause it's like, Oh my God, I gotta go. These kids are going to drive me nuts. And, uh, you always come back and my wife always says they always give you more energy, you know? And, uh, so I always, I think I've done a really good job. I think, but you have to be conscious of that. Like, listen, when I walk up, cause our weight room's on the second floor. So when I walk up those stairs, like, listen, let's tune it in. Let's be positive. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I guess I want the kids to enjoy this just as much as anything else. And I, you know, from an overall standpoint, I think obviously, uh, health is such a massive issue in our world today. I mean, it's horrid. And I remember I saw a, uh, I don't know someone had a camcorder back. It was like, uh, on his graduating day, it was a 1992 or 93 or something like that. And he's in this high school taking all these, you know, of all the people just walking through the halls. And it's like, man, there was no one that was overweight. If there was, it was very few. I didn't notice any. It was like, wow, what a change. That's that's when I graduated high school. And now it's like, it's horrid. Like, it's bad. Yeah. That's not, I don't think that's being melodramatic. I didn't, you know. Uh, 
we just go out to go out to like Disney World or a theme park sometime where there's a ton of people. It's tough, you know. Yeah, there's definitely been a a, a switch in culture and oh, and how things yeah. are. The other th- the other thing you see is like go to Walmart, and uh, I, I think we're probably really close to the same age. You look at people that are ten ten to twelve years older than us, and the mobility and how they get around. It's yep. just like you didn't see that when we were kids. I don't remember going to Walmart and seeing people pushing maybe sixty, let's say, that that couldn't get around. Yes, could. And the only ones that did was like that dude was a knob, dude. Right. Right. You know? Or uh, some older guy with a hump or something like that. But for the most part, there were always uh, fairly active people. And it's not like they went and trained and worked out. They just they had a different lifestyle. And obviously, you know, there's it's not just video games or anything like that. It's just a ton of ton of factors coming in. And uh, so I I think that at the very at the very heart of it, at least I want the kids to see, like, listen, if I just train like this. Or if I just train three times a week, you know, whatever they choose to do, like I can still be in great shape and still kick ass. And I, if they take anything from what we're doing, I, I hope it's that. And I always tell the kids, I always use examples. I said, listen, if you did 10 pushups every day for a year, how many pushups is it? And it's like, come on, public schooling math. Let's do this. Just add a zero to 365. Uh, and uh, even during like the pandemic, which we kicked ass during the pandemic. Do you want to hear this story? Yeah, go ahead. Oh. If you're willing to talk, I'm willing to listen. Yeah. So the pandemic, obviously, uh, they closed everything. And I get a call from the head coach like, dude, we got to fucking train. I'm like, well, I'm open to suggestions, but we can't go to the high school because it's closed down. So uh, the uh, one of the parents cleaned out a barn. They had a barn. They put, I think, the kids disassembled, I think, seven racks, put them in there, brought all the bars, benches, brought the weights and stuff like that. And so I went over to this person's house uh, and uh, trained kids. We had groups come in. uh, And for a while, early in the pandemic, in my weight room, we hosted two groups here every single day, Monday through Friday, we trained uh, because the kids just wanted to get out of their house. And every one of those kids that came here. So I think we had, my wife took, I think, maybe seven or eight junior high kids. And I took, at that time, I think, I don't know, eight varsity kids. Every one of those kids say it was the most, the best time of their life in football. Because they got to come here Monday, Tuesday, you know, all time. They got to train together. It's a very small garage weight room. So we mm-hmm. had to really be creative in what we did. Uh but you saw how important just physical fitness is, not just for football, but for like these kids who were locked in their house. Some of them just for two weeks, they were going fucking nuts. And so what the best part is, so now I'm all worried because this is at the beginning of the pandemic, right? The world's going to die. Everyone's going to die. hundred percent chance. And I called the coach up and I said, well, what, what happens when the cops come? And he's like, ah, he's like, hold on. So he calls up, uh, uh, shit, I'll fucking say it. I don't care. The, the DA here, the DA, I coached both of his sons and his son was still was on the team at the time. He said, well, tell him, uh, <clears throat> if the cops come, say they have to get a warrant and they have to come to me for the warrant and I'll never sign it. So you guys are free to do whatever the fuck you want. And, uh, many years later, I, uh, talked to the mayor and he's like, we got so many complaints about you. <laughs> <laughs> 
So like twice, two or three times a week, the kids would lift and we'd do all this stuff. And then we'd always push the prowler. And so we'd set up all these folding chairs and stuff and the kids would push and everyone was puking their brains out because, you know, it's just kids were being stupid. And so if you walk, there's all these cars that are parked. Kids are laying in the street or in the grass. It's like, I can see probably why there was some concern. Uh, But they, all of them to a T, I'm not joking. It was like, that was the best time I've ever had. So, and and so, but it was great though. The kids would come out, we would lift and it would take a long time because it was a small time. And the kids would just hang out for like two or three hours, just sit in the folding chairs and just hang out. And so, but I was super proud of our community coming together. All those kids grabbing the racks, the parents, you know, taking out the, uh, you know, <clears throat> moving the shit out of their barn. And not just that, but all the, everyone showed up. And so the parents were 100% on it. I, I thought that was wonderful. It, you're not going to find that anywhere else. So by the time the season started, everyone else was, you know, behind the eight ball. Our kids are already in tremendous shape and they're still lifting, you know. So, uh, but I'd never been more proud of my community than I was then of everyone coming together. Everyone giving the the bullshit the finger, you know, and I thought that was tremendous. So, and you know that that's uh, very similar, I guess, to here is. I never had any dreams of having a little gym at the house or doing a podcast or any of that stuff, yeah. and and then COVID hit and they shut down all the all the gyms. Yep. So I've got a barn out back. I I start I was starting Colts at the time, so we took what little equipment I had out there and kind of set it on plywood because it's a sand arena. You know, yeah. we'd be out there training and there'd be spiders just as big as your hand, you know, the big old garden spiders. And then, so we built a little platform in the corner and we moved everything up there, which was way nicer. And then I could still ride Colts. The problem was, is everybody was trying new things during COVID because they had tons of time, yeah. right? Yeah. So my daughters went and bought a bunch of chickens. Oh, well, man. chickens crap on everything. So every <laughs> night... <laughs> Every night when we were done, we had to take trash bags and put them over the benches and stuff like that. Or we would just walk in to just, just chicken crap everywhere, you know, but I look back and it was hot, you know, it was hot in the summer, uh, you know, humidity there is horrible. Oh yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, I look back at it and as crazy as that was, that was some of the funnest times, you know, we had, we had some success. Kids went on to just do great things that year. And then that eventually turned into a more uh, climate controlled environment. But, yes. uh, but you saw the need, you know, you, you oh. saw a need that kids needed somewhere to be and something yep. to do. And, uh, yeah, it was a life changing experience, I guess, starting that up. Yeah. Oh, it was, uh, that, that, uh, we had one kid who lives in my neighborhood who was the last kid to join us, uh, in our lifting group that was here. <laughs> And, uh, he, uh, comes over one day and he looks like he, he's locked in like a dungeon. His hair was all fucked up. And I was like, what's wrong with you? He's like, I haven't left my house in four weeks. And, uh, I remember like, dude, you gotta tell your parents, like, let's go. Like, we're fine. No one's dead here. We've been doing this for like a month. And his parents let him and let him, uh, come. But when he walked over, I couldn't believe the change. It's like if you get really like I I was really sick two years ago. I didn't have COVID. I had some kind of flu, uh, and I was literally bedridden. And I'm saying I slept almost all day for five days. I ate basically nothing. I lost so much weight and so much muscle mass. 
that prior to that, for about seven months, I did at least a Murph challenge every single day. My first workout after that illness, so it was probably five days. I was really, six days really ill. I couldn't even do five bodyweight squats without being completely gassed. And I was like, God, like just, just a week, basically, of me not doing anything. Imagine what these people went through over a year, you know. So. Oh, yeah, especially, in, you know, where it was policed a lot harder than yep. our communities. Yeah, you put people at a huge disadvantage. Oh, and just uh, and so one of the things I stressed the first couple of years uh, after the, that 2020 season, I'm like, listen, if you can't, if you're in prison or if you can't go out, man, you can always do bodyweight squats and push-ups and sit-ups. You can always knock the shit out of those things. And uh, so, I don't know. I just... We've had a, a lot of kids after they stopped uh, playing high school football. Maybe they didn't play college, but they still, a lot of those kids lift together still, which I think is really cool. And one of the kids said to me, I can't lift with anyone else but one of my teammates because they don't, no one knows how to work. And I was like, wow, that made, that made me proud. Like, you guys learn how to work hard here and really, you know. So I, that was a pretty proud moment in my life, I have to admit. And uh, I didn't, I was like, oh, like, no, it's funny because you know we we win all these games and we kick the shit out of them. That was one of the most memorable point parts of my life. And uh, so there we go. Anyway, well, I I don't want to keep you all night, but there there are a few other questions I had, but yeah, I want yeah. I, I want to steer this in a total different direction. Yep. So you went to Arizona, and did you major in English or writing? English, English and uh, my minor was in creative writing. Yep. Okay. So in saying that, if you, if, you know, I can tell your stuff when I read it, I've seen, I've watched enough of your podcast. It's like your personality finds itself on the page. Yeah. It's like, it's like having a conversation with you. How long did it take to develop the ability to write exactly how you would say it? Like I can read it and hear it in your voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that's a lost deal. Sort too, because I have to edit. Once I read it back, I, I like, holy shit, that, I have to make the sentence a little clearer. Um, it takes, uh, I've been writing since I've been a kid and I think it takes a long time. The really the, the greatest influence on me writing by far was Dave Barry. Dave Barry is a syndicated columnist. I don't, he don't think, I think he retired out of Miami and he's written, he read a, like a column every week for, I don't know how, I don't know how often it was in the paper, but I have a shitload of his books and I, there's, it's like G-rated PG comedy, uh, just a syndicate writer writing about whatever. And I remember reading that. I'm like, my God, he is so gifted. And I, I like reading. I love reading books and stuff. But I love someone that can kind of condense everything and make you laugh and get something out of it. But you don't have to spend 60 weeks reading it. Or you don't need, like, when you read Moby Dick, you need to have notes. I just loved how he wrote. And I, I always laugh. And so I think most of my... How I learned how to write, especially if you read Dave Barry, you'll have a couple opening statements about whatever he's writing about, like Pitbulls, something ridiculous. And that he'll have make some point in the beginning and at the end he'll bring it back. And I love that. Like, oh yeah. Like and so he'll bring it all back and kind of make you laugh. So and then the other thing is when I uh I used to read uh when I was at Arizona, I'd read all kinds of training stuff and they're fucking dry and boring. I'm like, why, why can't you guys like communicate in such a way, uh, that appeals to like regular people? 
And I remember thinking, like when I used to do all the Q&As and all that other stuff, and, and I started writing books, I realized my audience is not me. Like, it's a normal dude. Like he doesn't need to know any of this stupid shit. He just wants to know like how to get from point A to point B. And I like I, everything was so dry and just academic. And I hated that, man. I wanted to read something. Like I always tell people, if you want to be a good coach, you got to learn how to communicate. Like, and one of my first coaches in college uh, was one of the most prolific lifting writers I've ever, you know, like most people, at least my age would know him. One of the worst coaches I've ever seen in my life. Horrid. I remember the first time he coached me, he walked away. I was like, holy shit, he doesn't know anything. Like, he knows how to write it, but he can't fucking coach worth the shit. So I think communication's kind of a lost art, especially in this day and age where everything's done with text or uh, social media. You're never really going face-to-face. And I, it's a dying art, but it's never going to die. I mean, you still need people in the service industry. Uh, but anyway, like, I think that just takes time. I'm like writing, man. It's just like acting. People are like, how do you get started? Like, you just got to go act. Go to the local, uh, you know, your local plays or whatever you got. You know, go to the improv. Just act. And if you want to write, guess what? Just start writing. And uh, a guy wrote all tons of articles before I was ever even published because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I just kept on writing stuff and trying to. And my first couple articles, man, are horrible. Like, and I still cringe at some of the stuff I've written. Uh, not so much about the content, but like, man, I probably shouldn't have said that. Or, you know, I, I, uh, whatever. But I just think that's the most important thing. I'm writing every day. I mean, if it's not emails to people, if it's not, uh, tons of Q and A's and stuff like that, or just for my own benefit, you know, I think it just takes time. And I, again, I think it's neat. You need to know your audience. And that's one thing the strength and conditioning world has forgotten uh, is that you're writing to normal people. You're writing to the teacher down the road or the lawyer or the guy who's, uh, you know, swinging a hammer for a living. So uh, I think that's super important is know your audience. That's why like the first couple of books I wrote, I wrote them specifically to my oldest son when he was like 16, 17. I pictured like how he would be I'm like, listen, this is what I mean. This is, you know, what does that make sense? Like I tried yeah. to really make it kind of dumb it down so he could understand it. And uh, but that's what, you know, doing all the Q and A's that Dave and I, Dave Tate and I did, uh, you really have to learn how to like you can't just you can't assume they know anything. You know, I did a I'll never I did a seminar years ago. And I presented, you know, it's probably three or four hour seminar after like 30 minutes, someone raised their hand and asked me what a set and rep was. And I was like, Holy fuck. What did I just talk for 30 minutes? <laughs> you didn't get a fucking thing out of any, I was just like, Oh, like you got to come to a seminar with a little bit of knowledge, you know? Yeah. Like uh, how'd you even end up here? Did like the school or somebody yeah. say, Hey, we want you to go over here and watch this guy talk and then hopefully bring something back to us. It was just bizarre to me, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I'm not a great writer by any means, but I, just, I love to do it. And uh, I remember when I was 19, I wrote down, I remember where I was. I was in my very first apartment. I wrote down everything I wanted to accomplish in my life, but not like specific goals. I, I wanted to work from home. I wanted to write and I wanted to do something in the strength and conditioning. Those are the three things I wanted to do. And I got to do every one of them. 
And uh, I remember looking at that. I remember the piece of paper was on. And I remember thinking, how the hell am I going to get here? Like, I don't even know. Like, and I remember my dad was just like, it doesn't matter. Just do, just keep working and you'll find your way eventually. And it's kind of like, I always, you know, the old saying, like, if you don't know what to do, squat and run hills. Like, if you don't know what sport or what your goal is, like, listen, if you do those two things in consistency, you're going to be all right. You know, you can tweak things later, but let's just get on the right path right now. So, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I think I read an old paper of mine. I, I don't know how I found it from my creative writing days. And it just, I was like, oh my God, was I horrible? Why did she give me an A on this? It was one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever read. So anyway. So graduation time's almost here. You're getting ready to let go of a bunch of seniors that you've, that you've really grown, grown pretty fond of, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Now they're starry-eyed. Some of them are nervous. Some of them got their foot against the door to keep from getting pulled out of that place. Some of them are already out the door. Oh, yeah. Now, with the experiences you have, what advice would you give them? I mean, you hopped on a plane. You went to Arizona. You walked on. Every, I mean, what a, a terrifying experience that must have been. So with what you've done, what advice do you have for some of them senior kids as they're getting ready to walk out the door? Just so everyone's clear, I grew up in Chicago. I uh, went to the Air Force Academy for two years. I left. Uh, enrolled at the University of Arizona just because it was the farthest thing away. I just wanted to go. I couldn't wait to go. To, uh, the University of Arizona is in Tucson. I flew into Phoenix. I had no way of getting a, I had to find a way to get a Phoenix. All I had was a backpack. Or a, not a backpack, a duffel bag and like some kind of bag. And I, I remember like, what was I thinking? What were my parents thinking? I just, oh, here we go. Uh, and my advice, man, I tell the kids all this, this all the time. I said, listen, you got to be smart. Make, you know, don't do dumb shit, but take as many chances as you possibly can when you're young. And that doesn't mean like shooting heroin. <laughs> man, if you want to go do something, if you want to go do it, because when you're young, everything, it, you got no consequences. Like you don't have like a family or a mortgage or any other shit, man, go do as much awesome, crazy shit as you possibly can, whatever you really kind of want to do. Now you also have to be smart and prepare for your future and stuff like that. But, uh, like don't sit on the sidelines and be scared. Go, go West, go East, go South. Uh, you know, you know, or if you have to stay at home, man, try and start some kind of business and then try and climb Mount Everest. Do something that's because you're physically, you know, because I've, I've dealt with a whole bunch of injuries and stuff and I miss being healthy. And the only thing I regret is not doing more stupidly, physically awesome, horrible to the body stuff. I really do. I just that's the only thing I regret. I got to do everything I want to do, but I wish I would have wanted to do more. And, uh, you know, I am very lucky that I had terrific, I mean, fucking out of this world parents. And, you know, I did, a, I struggled for a long time, obviously, really until I was 36. I had a, just, you know, not doing great. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't like living on the streets or something, but I was not where I really wanted to be. But all that time that I took of doing all that, you know, all that, all those Q and A's at EFS, and it's hard to understand. We were, I was doing thousands and thousands a month of answering quite for free. 
thousands of emails and Q&As and stuff. And so when I finally released five through one, like I had built such a natural audience. I didn't have any plan for any of this shit, nothing. And Dave will back me up. He's like, you're the worst business dude in the world. Like, <laughs> Thank God you don't work here anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was just, I just loved what I did. I love it. And that's one thing I, I saw an interview with like a big time college strength coach. And he's like, you know, uh, like six years ago, I kind of thought this would be kind of cool to do. You know, he just knew the right people. I'm like, man, because I looked at him like, he doesn't really look like he loves lifting. Like, you just tell. Mm-hmm. And I just like, man, like, I'm happy that he's got this kick-ass job. And I'm like, man, he doesn't love it. Like, you know, and uh doesn't mean he's bad at it or anything. I just thought that was really weird. So, uh, but man, I tell these kids just like, take chances, like go out and do stuff. Uh, because before you know it, you're going to be 40 years old, you know, and you're going to wish you would have done this and that. And uh, so, like, I have my oldest son is going to be 19. He's 18 right now. And I tell him all the time, like, you know, I expect you to be do the right thing at all times, high character and all that bullshit. All that stupid stuff, like doing the right thing. <laughs> and I'm like, man, go out and do stuff, man. I don't care what it is. Uh, have a great time. Uh because, and then, you know, I'm, I told him, like, remember when you were a freshman in high school? He's like, oh, my God, it was like just the other day. I'm like, life goes even faster. So uh, you only get one go. And yeah, I, I was walking. I was doing a weight vest walk and I called my old man up and I'm like, dude, you know what the worst part about life is? He's like, all right. Because like, I always just slam my dad with anything. Like, listen, you got to make it sucks. You only got one of these. You know, it really does because I, I was thinking of all the stuff like I wish I would have done. Even if I would have taken a different road, I would have never ended up here. I get that. Uh, but man, it'd be awesome to go back and be like, let's see what I could have done if I would have went this direction and did something like that or went over here, you know? And, uh, but yeah, like I will say I'm super happy because I got to do everything. Like I always wanted to play college football. Like that was the, to me, if you would have told me, like, listen, you will start for four years as a Nebraska fullback, and they will you will kick ass, all that stuff, and you're dead at 50, I would have signed that paper 100%. 100% when I was a kid. That's how much I wanted to play. And uh, But, you know, I'm living for Still here, so I didn't sign anything. <laughs> the right deal didn't come across your day. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah. But I'm just super, I know, I'm, uh, I got to do what I wanted. I just wish, wish I, again, wish I would have done more. And uh, that doesn't mean I can't go do stuff. But, you know, when you're 22 years old, you run a six-minute mile and squat 500 pounds for three. You know, you can do a lot of shit. <laughs> you, know? you know? Dude, when I was a, a junior in high school, I ran a, I ran a, uh, 11.52 mile and squatted 400 for 10. At 170 pounds, 75 pounds. And uh, if I always say, like, if I would have had videotape of the shit that we did training-wise and, and some of the stuff, you wouldn't believe it. And, uh, like, I would have been a YouTube star for a while. Of course, like, I'm so glad. Imagine the ego. <laughs> oh, I would have been intolerable. I was intolerable as it was, pretty much. Yeah, you put you put a little bit of a, a social standing behind you and a little bit of money in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, it was my, when I, my first time I wrote 531, I made more money in two weeks than I made the entire year. Man, that's incredible. 
And I remember thinking, like, what the fuck am I working for? <laughs> what a waste of time. <laughs> but if I, you know, I just, it was like, you know, it was a weird feeling because I had not made much money. I was not very, uh, like I said, I wasn't poor or anything like that. But, man, I, you know, I struggled like everyone else. And, uh, boy, does life get, I, there's a point where, like, there's diminishing returns, but, I always laugh and like money doesn't buy happiness. Like, well, fuck you. You've never had to scrape to get a fucking soda, you know, at, at 7 Eleven or, you know, find out just to get gas in your car. And I, you know, I wish more people, you know, part of that too is my wife and I live so fucking below our means. It's stupid. Like we're the kings of, of living below our means. So we don't have the stress. But, uh, I would urge anyone, especially, uh, you know, middle age or even if you're 20, learn how to live. You don't have to be horribly frugal, but learn how to be smart with your money. Uh, it'll pay off, man. Because my like my wife and I never fight. I think part of it is we don't have any money issues because we don't spend any money. You know? That's I I can relate to that. That's what me and my wife decided we would do. Is you know let's get our girls off and let's get them through college, and then if we want to do something, let's do it. But until then, there I'm not yep. trying to impress anybody. You know, uh, you talked about it there a minute ago. Dave said you were a terrible businessman. I, that's almost a freeing feeling because I tell the guys in the gym that all the time. I'm a horrible businessman. I'll come up with great ideas, but then, but then I'll just give it to them. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't bring myself to charge them. I'm like, here, just take it. <laughs> I, uh, I, that's why my wife does all the business stuff for us. Um, you know, uh, but that's, you know, she likes, she, she has the background and she owned a gym, a very successful, uh, private gym in New Jersey. And, uh, was on working with athletes and working with regular people and stuff. And she's like, I just rather be behind the scenes. So I'm okay with that, man. I had no, I don't want to do tech stuff. I don't want to, I don't even know any of that. Like, I just don't know. And, uh, I'm fine with that. So, but anyway, it's been, uh, you know, I found a great woman and that's rare too. I really do. You know, I've already been divorced once and it's tough. So. My advice is hire the best lawyer you can. <laughs> you got to take a loan out. I do it. I'm not joking. Holy shit. I hired a fucking bulldog. Oh, best thing I ever did. So, but I got an, like, uh, my son, my oldest son and I are like, I don't know. Was, <clears throat> he grew up uh, in Texas. And I was lived in Ohio. So I flew out like once to twice a month. And uh, as expensive as that was, and that really, you know, was tough on me emotionally and financially, obviously. But I learned a valuable lesson. Your kids just want to spend time with you. It doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to go to the national parks with your kid or go here and here. He just wants to hang out. And so we spent a lot of time in hotel rooms playing video games, you know, playing Nerf guns. And... uh you know, so we have a very different relationship than I think maybe a lot of dads and sons because we that's we had condensed intense time together. But uh, I urge every parent, man, the kids just want to hang out with you. It doesn't matter. Like if they like doing something, just do it with them. You know, or if you like uh, working on your motorcycle, have your kid come out there and just you know you don't have to teach them anything. Just hang out, man. They just want to be with you. So I mean, for the most part, until they're teenagers, they become assholes. Yeah, then they don't want nothing to do with you, yeah. and you embarrass them. And yeah. 
Yeah. But I was very lucky because of uh, my oldest. You know, I didn't get to see him like a regular dad. So he was never embarrassed. And I got to, I never really got that from him. So I was very lucky. So, but he's also a pretty mature child. Uh, but anyway, all right. <laughs> I've I've probably kept you longer than you ever intended to be on here with yeah, me. Yeah, I gotta get rolling. Go ahead, give me one more question. Ah, no, man, I'm, I'll, I'll wrap it up. I just right. I can't I can't thank you enough. This is the one podcast. If I could only do one, this is the one I would have. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. So for you to hang out, we talked about everything. I mean, we had a great conversation pre-podcast. The podcast yeah. was amazing. So, you know. Thanks for taking time because I know you've done major big podcasts, but thank you for taking time to hang out on a small. Not a problem, man. Not a problem. Glad to be here. I'm uh, thankful. Like I don't like doing any social media. So anyone that wants to do it for me, fuck it. (laughs) I'll get on board. (laughs) Dude, you know what you just, you, you look like Mitch Trubisky. Holy shit. (laughs) That's from a guy grew up in Chicago. That's not a good thing. Well, well, then why'd you call me that? You could have just let it go. He's a very handsome dude, but dude, he, <laughs> he, uh, you're going to get run out. You go to Chicago. You're gonna get... I, I don't have any. Bears, of... Listen, I watched the Bears draft. I don't really keep up a ton with pro football, but I remember I watched them when they were coming. I'm like, how are they going to fuck this up? And sure enough, they took it. They <laughs> fucked it up. And I don't know. I don't know who they picked, but I, that's my first thing. Like, I don't know who that is, but I, he's going to stink. That's kind of like the Chiefs and Blackledge. You know, Dan Marino oh, and John Elway were in the draft. And, oh, and, and... God. I tell you what, he's he's a pretty good announcer. I don't mind Todd Blackledge at all. But, yeah, uh, fucking Penn State, he was like a supplemental draft pick. Right? Wasn't – Yeah. And, know, the, and, weird. and the Chiefs didn't draft another quarterback in the first round until oh. Patrick Holmes. Patrick oh, Mahomes. Well, man, when Shot and was there, you guys had Barry Word and Christian Okoye. And uh, that was – I remember watching this. Dude, Barry Word was your speed back at 245. <laughs> he was like, listen, put lightning in there. He's 6'3", 245. He's a fucking tank. I love watching the Chiefs play back in the day. Uh, they created a whole new style of football that wasn't necessarily good either. I mean, you know, you got Marty Ball. We just we just played a barely win, you yeah, know. Yeah, 10-7. Woo! And if we don't need this game, we aren't going to win it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do very well in the playoffs, right? That was the whole. No, we were just we got beat by Denver every time, you know. Yeah. Now well, Elway was phenomenal, but still. Yeah, that's the uh, that's what I think. That's going to be tough for like uh, the kid from Buffalo with Mahomes. Like they're going to have to pull something out of their ass to beat the Chiefs. Um, and I tell you what, like every. Texas Tech quarterback is, has been a bust, really, in the NFL. And I remember when uh, Andrew Reid drafted him, and I was like, holy shit, he knows. Because Andrew Reid's a fucking genius. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, he knows something that we don't. Because uh, it's easy to throw up big numbers at Tech. And I just, I remember, like, thinking originally, like, ah, oh, he's not going to do anything with Holmes. And I remember when, as soon as he got the, uh, the Andrew Reid seal of approval, I'm like, dude, this kid's going to be good, but I never, I don't think anyone thought he'd be this good. Andy Reed is like the Mike Leach of professional ball. He's like a yep. mad scientist. Yep. And I always cracked up when like, why isn't the enemy getting any of the, uh, any offers? I'm like, you think by enemy's coaching anything in that fucking offense? <laughs> really? 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 He's there to, you know, he's getting, a, I'm not saying he didn't do anything, but I think I always laughed about that. I'm like, Andy Reed's doing everything. 
You know? yeah, dude's a genius, man. Uh, anyway, all right, I'm going to get rolling here. All right, man. See you. Thank you very much. I appreciate so it. Much, man. I appreciate it.